Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, 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 thanks for the, uh, I mean, thanks. <laughs> whoa, whoa, thank you. Um, no, that's not what I wanted to say either. Uh, sorry, I think was the, uh, yes, sorry. Uh, we're, we're starting 15 minutes uh, late. Uh, and uh, if you're still there, God bless you. Um, whatever. Uh, the reality is, is that <laughs> you'll be shocked to find out we have had uh, technical difficulties. So uh, I'm sorry this will be a somewhat truncated show because I do have to um, leave uh, at a, my normal uh, exit time of 11. So. Uh, and we also have a, we still do not have the capacity to take phone calls today. I'm sorry. So it's just blah me uh, for 45 minutes. But God knows there's a lot to talk about. So I'll share some stuff with you, if you don't mind. It, by the way, is tax day, April 15th, 2019. And it's, uh, as usual, on a Monday. Uh, an awful lot happened over the weekend, most of which I don't want to talk about. Uh, this week we uh, will see the probably heavily redacted Mueller report for the first time, um, where probably most of us reading it will find ample <laughs> evidence of collusion or um, also... Uh, God, why can't I think of the other thing? The, yeah, I mean, it's going to be awful. I actually came upon something that, uh, on Twitter, uh, by a man who I think is, uh, you know, over the course of, of a lifetime of reading, uh, you do find certain names that, that you think, oh, yeah, this guy. You know, that they're coherent, cogent, sometimes prescient. And I'm not even sure what, what this guy writes for, but over the years I have certainly read him. And it's a little bit long, but I know that when I read it, I thought it was a pretty damn fine uh, compilation of where we stand. And uh, I would characterize where we stand as at the edge. At the edge of a high cliff. And normally I think of the edge of a high cliff having at least a beautiful view but I don't think the view is good. So we are at a point which is a very consequential, a word I find myself using a lot, um, with the stakes being as high as they can be. So the, <coughs> the gentleman who 
whose words I'm going to share with you <coughs> is David Rothkopf. You try saying it. Rothkopf. <coughs> Damn it. My, excuse me. I'm sorry. Excuse me. <coughs> Here's what he says. He must have written this um, probably on Friday night. Okay. So it's a few days old. But he was looking back at what had transpired in the last week. And he said this. And I mean, this, this first sentence you would think could be uh, written almost any Friday night in the last two years. <laughs> but here it is. Enough preamble. Something broke in America this week. We have been spiraling downward since Trump's election, but this week we crossed a line. The president and his men began asserting that they were above the law, and effectively no one in our system did anything to stop them. The Attorney General sneered at the Congress and placed himself imperiously above its questions. He continued to arrogate unto himself what portions of the Mueller report we would see. He asserted again that he was the final arbiter of whether obstruction of justice that's the word I was looking for before, obstruction of justice had taken place. He even went so far as to imply that law enforcement authorities carrying out their duty to protect America were somehow spying, perhaps illicitly, on the Trump campaign. That, of course, ignores the reasons for the investigation in question were not only sound, but the core reason <laughs> that Russia had sought to aid the Trump campaign in the election had been proven again by Mueller. At the same time as the Attorney General was thumbing his nose at uh, a supposedly co-equal branch of government, the Secretary of the Treasury and the head of the Internal Revenue Service determined to violate a law that required in no uncertain terms for them to provide the president's tax returns to the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. At the same time as this is going on, a purge of the Department of Homeland Security took place, and it became quickly clear it was because the president was frustrated that officials would not act in violation of the law. We learned that the White House pr promised pardons to those who did break the a law, encouraging a crime <coughs> and abetting it. We learned that they considered an egregious abuse of power that would involve releasing illegal immigrants in sanctuary cities controlled by Democrats. By the way, that idea is still very much on the table. We saw the president complain that our military would not rough up immigrants. We saw him 
continue the charade of an emergency at our southern border, which was an excuse for him illegally, for him illegally to divert government resources to an unnecessary racist vanity project. The president repeatedly called law enforcement officers who investigated him traitors, guilty of treason, a crime that carries the death penalty. We discovered that the president considered appointing his grossly unqualified daughter to head the World Bank. It is the stuff of the world's most dysfunctional governments. But rather than generating a response from inside our system commensurate with the threat, nothing occurred. The Republican leaders in the Senate circled around the president and supported his abuses. In so doing, they sent a message that they would never challenge him, much less convict him, of the myriad crimes he has committed. The checks and balances our system was built upon are gone. Worse, the courts are being packed with Trump cronies, often unqualified. Agencies are being left to appointed caretakers, some outside the normal chain of succession, many unconfirmed for their current positions. Political opponents tiptoed around these crimes, daring not to appear too extreme. This is how democracies die. The rule of law is slowly strangled. The unthinkable becomes commonplace. The illegal becomes accepted. From violations of the emoluments clause to serial sexual abuse. What once was black and white blurs into gray, right and wrong, old principles, enduring values fade from memory. Authoritarians arrive in our midst, not in tanks, but in bad suits and worse haircuts. I have long thought our system was better than this. I had thought it was more resilient. But candidly, I am no longer sure. I remain hopeful, it's more than I do, hopeful that the next election cycle can redress these manifold wrongs, but it will not be easy. It will be too close. Trump may be with us for six more years. Why? Because we allowed ourselves to become inured to the unthinkable. We are dying the death of a thousand cuts. Right now, this week, the president and his band of thugs are winning they have become unabashed in their attacks on the law. They are daring someone to enforce it. But what if, 
What if the courts rule against them, but they ignore it? What if the Treasury Secretary has violated a law and no one arrests him? What if the president steals and canoodles with enemies and he goes unpunished? Their crimes, of course, will only grow more egregious and their ways will only grow more ingrained in our system. Their violations will, in fact, become the system itself. Corruption will be the norm Greater corruption, to be sure, since it was corruption that got us here in the first place. Our only hope is recognizing the seriousness of the situation. This is not politics as usual. This is not an erosion of what was. This is a full-blown crisis and the greatest crisis American politics has faced in our lifetimes. It is not a time for equivocation. It is time for those who seek to protect the rule of law to step up to protect it, or the chance may not soon again return. That's uh, David Rothkopf uh, saying what uh, a lot of us... And you see this, this kind of summation that he did there of uh, what happened just a week ago. Um, a, uh, I'm sure we could do a summation like that every week and then look back and say, what did we do? And our responses are seem to have no effect. I think our government is being taken. And I, who could not even conceive of six more years of Trump, can now. I really can. I was asking myself this weekend, what do you do if he does get reelected? Do you do the you know usual and say, that's it, I'm packing my bags, I'm out of here? No, I'm too old. But uh, I'm sorry to start things off like this. And then to see the stuff that we argue about, to see the stuff that takes uh, so much of our time and attention, such crap, such little piddly crap, in comparison to the big picture. And the big picture is flat out terrifying. Thank good God for Tiger Woods yesterday. Boy, he made my day. And I don't watch golf. My mother watches golf. But I watched <laughs> yesterday. I watched the Masters. And 
was rooting for this extraordinary comeback. Um, and I'm sure see some people, how could you root for him? He was unfaithful to his wife. We found out all kinds of awful things about him. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are you telling me? He's human. What are you telling me? He's got feet of clay. How your feet doing? I'm sick of the pettiness of the moment. I'm sick of people not being able to believe that there's such a thing as redemption, of falling to the bottom, of being humiliated, shamed, embarrassed, of losing everything, essentially, and of clawing your way back. That is something to be applauded. It is something that gives me joy. Instead of this climate we're in now where the death sentence is handed out for somebody looking at you cross-eyed. Kurt writes, on a lighter note, <laughs> thank you, Kurt, on a lighter note, remember when there were live spots on the 11 p.m. news curbside at the downtown post office? Oh, yeah, where last-minute filers were, yeah, there was a line of cars were dropping off their tax returns to capture an April 15th postmark. You know what? Uh, this morning, today, in coming here, I found myself at that very intersection, and I turned to look. I thought exactly of the same thing. I turned to look. No one was there because that post office isn't there anymore. And, I mean, that was the big, po why isn't that there anymore? The building is. Anyway, yeah, I thought of it too. And I was holding, I mean, I was holding my tax returns. <laughs> I'm one of the late ones. And I thought, if I put them in the mailbox right outside the building here, Will, you think they get postmarked in time? And I actually worried about it, yeah. And then I thought, oh, for God's sake. This is the crime I'm worried about? Good God, it says on the box they pick it up at 12.30, at right, right after noon. You think it won't get an April 15th stamp? And even if it didn't, you think what? A SWAT team will come for me? God almighty. How about them pens, by the way? I wonder if Bob and Braddock wants me to continue to say go pens at the end of the show. Do we? I've only got one. I, I'll do it a few more times. Seems like that's all the only chance I'm going to get. Gee whiz. Hooey. Sorry for those of you who live and die by them or who wanted them to have a long, long run because you are desperate for distraction. And we all do uh, require it. I read an interesting uh, piece. You know that I tend to go insane about this uh, 
this new feminism that perceives a touch as a violation that would have us all have to ask permission to lay a hand on someone's shoulder. I find it laughable. I'm sorry, I do. And clearly, this is a generational divide. Us older girls who have memory of what it was to really live in a total patriarchy and know what work went into getting where we are today did not intend to get where we are today so we could become, you know, sort of these sort of Stalinist... Uh, it reminds me of the guy, the, the, those, those Islamic police, you know, in Saudi Arabia who go around. It's I don't want people policing human behavior and contact like that. As if individuals can't themselves. And somehow equating actual assault, rape, manhandling, sexual touching with a hand on a shoulder, on an arm. It's mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling. Humans need touch. Humans need connection to each other. I think now more than ever because of how technology has often placed itself in between human interaction. More than ever we need a Scientists will tell you that that's true. And one of the reasons that lonely people don't live as long is because they are wanting human contact. And Human touch is not sexual. When I touch somebody I'm talking to, I'm not engaging in some sexual gesture. It's a human gesture. And why can't so many women see that? So I, I came upon something interesting. And I'll be damned if I even know who wrote it. But it's, it's how does a norm, you know, get established? Because we are right now in our culture in a period of flux where the norms that had been understood are now being 
question. That's why Joe Biden had to make a video. Uh, things are changing, he said. They aren't like they used to be. That's true. But not all of us got the memo that all of a sudden you're not allowed to hug or pat or brush against or squeeze or, or in any way come skin to skin with another human being without first obtaining consent. I didn't get the memo, and I'll tell you, if I did, I would have ripped it up. So going back to Biden, we find out that some women, quite a few, said they were made uncomfortable by his touches. They did not see the touches as sexual. But they were uncomfortable that he touched them. Okay. Now that would not be my reaction. I cannot, everybody has the right to react the way they want to. But here's the question, she said, her voice going, here's the question. Whose level of discomfort rules? The most sensitive amongst us? Who cannot bear the slightest touch from somebody? Is that where we're heading? Whose discomfort becomes the right level? If being made uncomfortable, which we hear a lot these days, oh, I was triggered, that made me uncomfortable. What the? it's, It's to me so ludicrous. What do these people think life is? Life is comfortable? Life is uncomfortable. I hate to think what worlds these people came from. That they can be made so hysterically uncomfortable by something so little. And then force the rest of us down to their ridiculously sensitive level? There's a female neuroscientist in England who, like me, has watched this, but she is outraged and actually concerned because her her expertise is human touch. As I said, she's a neuroscientist. And she studies things called C-tactile afferents. Those are nerves, nerve fibers. We all have them. And they respond to gentle touch. Mm. 
babies. This is so part of the human animal. Babies who do not feel that kind of touch become horribly damaged. This, too, is why higher rates of mortality among lonely people for want of a gentle touch. Francis McGlone, the neuroscientist, says, Don't piss around with three million years of evolution. It doesn't make mistakes. Social touch is a biological necessity. So, I don't know. We're heading into a period where the young amongst us <coughs> are trying to redefine this norm. And as often is the case with young people, they got lots of passion, but not necessarily wisdom. Just because some women are uncomfortable does not mean that everyone else has to somehow conform to their level of discomfort. So we, and I'm putting this out to you, need to push back against this effort to create a new norm as long as we're alive. The fact is, is we all are different. And I can respect somebody who has trouble with touch, but I would say that that person needs to be taught how to then fend for themselves in a world in which a lot of people need to touch. And so if touched, they need to say, I'm sorry, but you know what? That makes me uncomfortable. That's all. You don't have to upend three million years of evolution. Just saying. By the way, the woman who wrote this, I think I found her name here. Mary Jo Murphy. Okay, she I think is with the Washington Post, but she was with the New York Times for 20 years. Mary Jo Murphy. And um, her whole thing is, should the people who are uncomfortable being touched let non-sexual, I'm not talking about sexual stuff, I'm talking about don't want to be touched, should they set the rules for the rest of us? Because I think if you were to add us all up, there's more of us 
who can handle it. It is, I'll finish with what she says, it is a slippery slope to say that what makes someone uncomfortable should be outlawed in the unwritten book of norms because there is great diversity in what people find uncomfortable. And the norm by its nature will account for that flexibility. I mean, we've got, I remember when I first heard that nursery school teachers are really discouraged from hugging their pupils and caregivers from offering comfort, hugs to patients. That's where this gets us. I don't want a child to live in a world where an adult can't hug them if they need to be hugged. And that is the case. I remember it, it, it's 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 been so it, this has been going on so long that when my own son was in elementary school and I volunteered one day to oversee the lunchroom how the hell did I do that? I was working two jobs. But I ended up in the lunchroom one day. And there was one little kid who was causing trouble at his table. <laughs> and I went up to him and I put my hands on his shoulders and said, hey, you know, or I didn't say, hey, I, whatever I said is, hey, yeah, uh, uh, uh. And some other, I don't know who it was, another mother or a teacher or they came running up to me and said, you cannot touch the kids. <laughs> it was, it was a gentle touch. It was a touch saying, hi, I'm here and I'm watching you guys. No, and I, it was treated like I, you know, <laughs> like I body slammed the kid or something. Hmm. I don't get it, and I never will. Lynn writes, I understand what you're saying to a point. But here's where I want to blame Harvey Weinstein and Donnie Darko Trump for this mess about hugging and touching and not touching. I think they started it. Well, but see, I'm talking about I was told not to touch the kid, and that was well before any of that. Anyway, I think they started it. But what we are seeing now is the predictable overcorrection by women in the popular culture. Please be mindful of your outrage so as not to give Trump a pass. No, no, no. Hey, I specifically, Lynn said, I am not talking. You know what kind of touch I'm talking about. If you were here right now, the odds are I would have touched you. Right now, as I was, if you were here, I'm talking to you, I would like say, Lynn, but that's not, you know, it, it's a need I have. And I, and I'm not. 
And I think I am the norm. Most people have a need to touch, to be touched. They've done studies where people are blindfolded and then other people touch them to convey an emotion. I think the emotions were fear, admiration, comfort, or something like that. There were like three different kinds of emotions. And the blindfolded people, when touched by people without words, telling them something, the overwhelming majority of the blindfolded people always understood the touch, what it was conveying. It is part of how we connect, communicate, speak. I'm not talking about Harvey effing Weinstein or Donald effing Trump. Those are obvious sexual transgressors. But Joe Biden is not one of them. If we can't start telling the difference between these things, well, stupid begets stupid. And we're getting stupid. Ah, Bree, don't rub it in. Bree says, thanks. He's over in, uh, where are you? Dubai, I'm thinking. Thanks for reminding me it's tax day. We expats get until June 15th to file. What? <laughs> and he rubs it in further. There are no personal taxes in Dubai. Well, they don't need taxes. They got oil. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Well, so anyway, that's... I. I this stuff drives me nuts and I'm I'm sorry. I must not be uh communicating very well. If I could just if you could all just come here and I could touch you, I could make you understand. I really, 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 really could. Just let me get my hands on you. And you know what's weird is I'm actually a very private person in terms of I don't, you know, believe me, I got my, I got my place where I don't like, there are, there are touches. I'll tell you what I don't like. If a guy puts his hand on my arm, fine, okay, because we're talking. It's when anything starts moving. <laughs> if a hand is on me but it starts moving, like it's massaging in some way, uh-uh, no. That touch then has gone to someplace else. But we all have these lines, I suppose, and it is for us individually to deal with the diversity around us of other people with different norms. 
I don't want police on the streets making sure people aren't touching in the wrong way. Uh, another sort of provocative piece. This is where the scientists, see this, uh, last I spoke to you, I'm talking about neuroscientists saying, are you effing kidding me? We need this. It is part of how humans, uh, humans require touch. Um, what happens for those of us who come from cultures? Now, granted, cultural stuff figures in, right? Um, you're from an Italian family. You're going to tell them that they aren't allowed to hug, touch people? Good luck with that. My family, too. Good luck. There are cultures that are much more don't touch. I can tell, I think of wasp culture as like, as don't touch culture. But somehow we've all managed to navigate. Okay, so the Democrats now have 7,000 people running uh, for president. I intend to uh, announce probably next week. Why not? I read a piece over the weekend and said, there's, you know, why are all these people doing this? They know they can't win. It's because apparently there's no downside. You run for president, you get your name up there, who knows? And you have to be a real jerk to get harmed by the attention. You just, yeah. So, I want to talk about age. That's another no-no because there are laws against discriminating against people based on their age. However, age figures in to should, according to gerontologists, those who specialize in the study of age, uh, gerontologists say it is really sort of astonishing that we don't talk about age more than we do when we're talking about who should be president. It's simply not done. We don't. Think about it. We really don't. comes up here and there, and then people are shut up. Um, one gerontologist says this, a 70-year-old candidate will have 20 more years of lived experience than a 50-year-old candidate. And that can translate not only into potential expertise, but also to a richer mind. Yeah, I was here for the old farts. But, says the gerontologist, you can't <coughs> stay at the height of your capacity forever. That is not the trajectory with age, we do become less energetic. Our bodies and minds do change. <coughs> now, the people who are, you know who's an outlier in this regard? Nancy Pelosi. You might have seen her on 60 Minutes last night. She's 79 years old. 
she, I can't imagine the schedule she keeps, the stuff she has to deal with, the fires she has to put out, the delegation she has to do, the, the, the watching every word that comes out of her mouth, the, the, the leadership role she has. That is a job that is 24-7, just as the presidency is 24-7, well, for every president but the current one. He doesn't even do 9 to 5. But it's a 24-7 job. And 79-year-olds who can keep up that kind of a job are not the norm, back to norms. Not the norm at all. And again, like Ginger Rogers, Pelosi is doing it while looking unbelievably good for a 79-year-old woman, but also in three-inch heels. So gerontologists say, I mean, it is just bizarre. This is a guy who worked at AARP. He's a gerontologist. He says, you find all these discussions about our politics and our leadership about gender and ethnicity and class and race and blah, 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 but you never find discussion of age. And he said, age is something that should not disqualify a candidate, but should be in the mix. I say this because, frankly, the idea that the Democrats are going to nominate either Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden, both of whom are now, what, those are the one and two on the polls? In this time of incredible change, the Democrats are going to put up against Trump somebody who's even older than Trump, who, by the way, is the oldest man ever elected president of the United States. And the Democrats are going to counter with guys who are, let's see, Trump is 72, Biden is 76, and Sanders is 77. There is not a more challenging job that I can, well, I'm sure there are, but th no, it's about as challenging a job as you would want. Maybe you would want, I don't. But, To think that someone in their late 70s and will be into their 80s, something that has never happened in the country, when I thought the idea, <laughs> I am so confused by what's going on that so many people are looking to Sanders and Biden. What the hell? Oh, yeah, that's what we need. An old white guy. 
the oldest white guy to ever be president, because either of them would be. I don't get it. I don't get it. Gerontologists will say if you were looking at what is an age, what's the a the optimal age for somebody to take on a 24/7 job like that, probably about 50. I mean, not to say that Pete Buttigieg, who is much younger, uh, couldn't be a great president, or not to say that you know Joe Biden couldn't, but generally in terms of life experience plus still having uh, a supple brain and energy, the ability to multitask, all that stuff, gerontologists will tell you all the studies that show that somebody my age, okay, can't do what I could do 20 years ago in terms of multitasking, in terms of learning new stuff. It's not that I can't, it's just a little bit slower. And I can tell you right now, I would not have the energy to be president of the United States. And I am a pup compared to Bernie and Biden. Democrats scare the holy hell out of me. All righty, that's it for me. It's a little shortened show because we started late, but I have to go and... Um, that's that, and uh, Susan will be here tomorrow, and maybe we'll laugh a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.